So we put boundaries into relationships, I think, to educate and inform people as to where we are because they're important people in our lives. And we want to be able to keep that relationship. So if something's really upsetting you, you're feeling maybe disrespected or hurt, or please tell that person and just say, look, when you do this, this is how I feel. So what I would like is, da-da-da, um, because you're really important to me. Let's go! Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host, Sukoon. As an advocate of conscious living, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs, and choose authenticity, because that is where your true joy lies. Each week, I dive into raw conversations with inspiring guests who have undergone big shifts and are here to offer you the tools to do the same. So get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. Ladies and lads, you're about to hear some very thought-provoking insights on something that's a pretty common struggle, which is how to tame that inner mental chatter of yours that does not seem to shut up, own your needs and express them authentically and setting healthy boundaries. And today I have the pleasure of my guest, Anneli Howling's company. Anneli is a speaker, a high performance coach and a trauma specialist. She has over 20 years of experience working with leaders in business, elite sportsmen and members of the armed forces. Now, given her background, we start off with discussing the nuances of high performance, and then we move on to understanding what it really means to be authentic in its truest sense the difference between people pleasing and fawning something I learned today and how to stand up for yourself and set boundaries in a healthy way. So I really hope you extract some messages from this conversation and implement it to wherever you may need it in your own life. It's lovely to have you, Annalie. I love all the work that you put out in the world and just helping us break through our mental barriers and shift our relationship with ourselves. So thank you for that. I'm excited for this conversation, but I think that people just, uh, yeah, want more help and want to talk. So it's really good. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate words. It's very kind because it's, yeah, that's my purpose is just to do something that's helping anybody. And I just want to invite that for this conversation. Mm. There's nothing off limits with me. Like you've got your audience that you're serving and I believe that you're here in service mm. of their, their highest good. And, and that's why I do what I do. So if there's something you want to ask me, anything at all, I have no ego. So feel free if it's yeah. something that you know is going to really help people. I want to, I want to answer that. So yes. So wait, how long have you been doing this work for? Oh, so for, so started the coaching journey 10 years ago, but sort of before that was, was trying to find my own way through a few pieces of healing, but training in coaching 10 years. Well, I know you're in the high performance space, which is amazing. And it's interesting because when people think of high performers, there's this tendency to separate that they're out there and I can never be that. So from your experience, what do you think is that key factor that really differentiates people who are high performers versus those who are not quite playing at that level yet? And how can they close the gap? That's a great question. So I think that everybody, I I put a post out about this, I think it was last week, and it did really well, because I think it just speaks to the fact that we all know we have this huge potential inside of us. 
in whatever field or passion or dream that might be. But typically, and I guess maybe historically, high performers in inverted commas have been in things like sports or, you know, getting to the top of mm-hmm. um, an industry that we are sort of supposed to celebrate. So like, I don't know, finance or, you know, because you you have a marker of success, like so much money, but you have high performers in the healing space. You have high performers in creativity. You have high performers in spirituality. You know, you have high performance in love. I think, you you know, who show me a couple that's got a beautiful relationship and they're high performing better than most of us. So I think that that's one thing I want to offer is to reframe how we view high performance away from some of the more traditional industries that it's celebrated. But what's the difference? It's the mindset, honestly, and Mm -hmm. that the... There's two things that I I think are, are quite sort of generic that run through the veins. Obviously, everyone's different. And as I mentioned, every industry, if it's athletics or if it's business or if it's acting or performing, as in like um, the arts, it could be very different, the things that people are sort of struggling with specifically. But what most people, you know, want in that space is they need to be able to shake off disappointment quickly. So say playing golf, you will have a bad shot and bad again in inverted commas you know it won't be maybe exactly how you wanted you're playing golf over four days and you know you've got 18 holes a day there is a lot of opportunity for a gust of wind a member of the crowd coughing uh you know something just not going your way so the likelihood is at some point your well-executed plan you're going to have a literally a curveball right so it's how quickly can you shake that off and not let that one drop shot then sort of impact the rest of your round and the rest of your game that's the difference is how quickly if we look at what resiliency maybe means you know it's how quickly you can come back to your center i don't think resiliency is about necessarily pushing yourself so far away from your center and your core i think resiliency is more this sort of this um, stickiness is bouncing back and how quickly can we we can return to ourself um, and then the other thing mm. I think with high performers is I've spoken about this quite a lot recently but the more successful you get so you start getting stuff you know let's say an athlete so you start getting a sponsorship deal you start getting um, mm. maybe a few sponsors you've got some sports brands and a watch and you've got some other sponsors on your shirt and then you get things you know like you might get a nice car and you've got a house and you've usually got people you need to support your family things like that and so suddenly that drop shot or that mistake it really means a lot more you know if we start doing the maths like one of those shots means I don't finish at the same position means I don't get either my points that I need to maintain this level of my career or I don't get you know a sum of money whatever that may mean which means that I can't best support people that I love so that pressure makes us more can make us more conservative Mm. and if you're trying to be a high performer which fundamentally is where we've got to take risks you know we're climbing we're chasing we're risky we're also in flow we're also being our truest selves and to be our truest selves is putting ourselves out there now if you start layering on all but oh if i do that oh no that's a very different energy to come to anything with relationships sport creativity Mm. if suddenly you're thinking can I share my art like for me there's some posts there's one going out I think this week that's the most honest about myself something deeply vulnerable and honestly I have no I've got a I've got as Brene Brown says the vulnerability hangover from it because I wow (laughs) 
yeah I just was like let's just yeah. do let's just do it because I again my whole purpose is that if I say one thing that could help someone I feel like I've done a, a good job in service of others so this is about I don't mind sharing it now this is about how I, I used to pick up my face I used to do skin picking I used to my face used to bleed and I didn't know I was doing it it was a subconscious behavior wow. to like just to your hands like, yeah that was Wow. I used to do it in the shower when my marriage was breaking down and I I used to sort of yeah. come round with like blood down my hands and it was because That's going so to the shower was a space that at that time was private from my very little daughter at the time and my ex-husband and I was so I was trying to keep so much in I think that that's, I know that's where it was coming out. I've had work with my therapist and done the EMDR on this mm. myself. So it was a way of me trying, it was like the silent scream that the way that I did it was, was picking at my own face. Now I thought I had really bad skin and I don't, I had really bad stress. And Just I your inner story, yeah. wasn't it? I was playing again and again, your inner oh critic, which is the what we talk about spent, now. Yeah, the yeah. money I spent, the interventions, the acids, the needles, the things I've had on my God. skin cure my acne and actually I didn't have bad skin like I say I had bad stress and I didn't have a safe enough place to put it out there so again mm. I've sort of got a certain level if you like of um, the reason I get to speak to you is we've managed to find each other through social media and I'm saying something mm -hmm. out there you know and it's we're in a council yeah. culture right now and it's about me but I'm still saying something I hope in service of others but when you become more successful, it can make you want to be conservative because you've become focused on what you could lose rather than when you're climbing and hunting and chasing, it's more what you can gain. So that I think is, is a lens to offer around this sort of high performance space as well. Wow, that's some perspective. So wait, the sense I get is that you help high performers tame their inner critic so they can up-level their game from where they're already at, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. They usually picked up maybe a few behaviors, shall we say, along the way that have taken them off the course and, and out of their, their deep centered self. Yeah, it reminds me of something I say, which is no matter what level you're playing at, every single one of us has an inner critic, because I think one of the biggest myths people have is that those who have made it big never have any um, fears, which is such rubbish because everyone's got their inhibitions and insecurities and sense of imposters at some level. But yeah, in the context of your story, what does it mean to stop existing and start living? Oh, I love that. Thank you. It's to be authentic. And that sounds really, oh, okay, great. What does that mean? Or how does that look? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about that. <laughs> you know, be authentic. What is that? How do I do that? But it's, it's, I think, again, if we go back to how I said that sometimes society celebrates high performers in certain industries, it's just about listening to that call inside of us. And it changes, you know, and listening to, to mm. what my soul wants. And that might not conform to sort of society mm. or even what my friends are doing who love me dearly and are really supportive. I'm, you know, it's, it's paving my own path kindly always with kindness and but deep authenticity and integrity for who I am and knowing that that's okay and in the past I have done the things in inverted commas I was meant to do to be successful like I had the big yeah. job in the city and I've got an MBA right. and I've got all this stuff you know but that is not the role of my soul and it made me ill and it made me unhappy and that I was existing, I wasn't living.
and now I live. I love that. I mean, first of all, I think we can agree that there's this huge correlation between authenticity and confidence, because when you're fully expressing yourself as you are without any people pleasing tendencies and the fears of inhibitions, you just become naturally confident. And it reminds me, actually, I saw one of the videos, which I loved again, um, where you talked about the unskillful version of authenticity, where people had this huge misconception that being authentic is about spitting your truth out without caring about what people think. And that, again, is so not authentic. In fact, it's the opposite of being authentic. So what do you want to just talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a bit like I said about myself, you know, I'm being authentic and I'm being true to me, but I'm being kind. And I just yeah, think that's so there is this sort of, it's almost a bit trendy, like, oh, I'm speaking my truth. It's a boundary. I'm just being, just being honest. And you're like, no, you're being unskillful. You're being unkind. And if you want to have a boundary from someone, that's fine. But if they've been important in your life at all, I think there's a kindness in offering an explanation. I'm sure we've all been in situations in your mm. world where there's not been closure. That is horrible, you know, to not be able to close out or, or understand or even learn. You know, I view it as if I'm, if I'm maybe not going to be spending time with someone that perhaps we've had a connection in the past, a friendship, or I'm working in a different way or whatever it may be. Like, it's, it's absolutely fine for me to say that's just not where I am right now. And, you know, but I really wish the best for you. And, and this is what I'm doing. It's, I think there's this real sort of, like I say, a bit of a trendy thing where, well, I'm choosing myself, I'm honoring self-care. I'm, uh, this is, this is my truth. And it's like, no, you're, that's unkind. And, and it's being inauthentic in some way. It's not right. authentic at all. No, I don't think it it's is. Not, it's, no. I think if you're being authentic, it's actually very gentle. I think if you're being authentic, it's not forced. I think if you're being yeah. authentic, you find yourself in flow. I think probably a little bit with, I appreciate that we're connected on social, but I think probably a little bit of the, maybe the darker side of social, the external validation is this kind of, you know, what are you doing this for? And I don't imagine it is for your soul again, because I think that that is a very different energy and a way of doing things. And it's absolutely fine that we may have come to the end of our journey and whatever the dynamic was of our connection, but it doesn't have to be cruel. And I think that there's there's this sort of chucking it around can can actually excuse people from not doing the work. I'm, I'm sure you see this. It's like, mm. a, oh, I'm just speaking my truth. I'm just doing this. Really? Or are you just absolutely, is this yet yeah. another person, situation, dynamic? I mean, they're the people that change their job every five minutes. And it's always somebody else's fault. Oh, no, the boss there was terrible. Or, oh, the hours were awful. Or they expected this of me and there's a possibility that yes maybe you're consistently looking in the wrong place for for the wrong career but also what element of responsibility can you take in this for the fact that there is a common running thread and that seems to be yourself so in all of these situations an inquiry is is what of that can you own and then any time that I find myself in a situation like that maybe like I say a closing out of a friendship or something like that there's always an inquiry for me as to okay what can I own in this? What can I learn? What could I, what do either I need or what could I change or where could I have shown up, you know, more and me authentically, you know, kindly and, and sort of in better service perhaps of this person. And that that's where I think this sort of, I'm just speaking my truth. It's, it's a bit unskillful. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you go from, you know, losing parts of your authentic self back when you're working in corporate to being miserable, I believe, to mm -hmm. all the work you're doing now? Like what actually, 
what was your agent of change and what actually anchored you towards doing all the stuff that you are and just being who you are right now? Sure. So I was coming up for, I remember I was late 20s, I'm nearly 42 now, and uh, I had the big job in London and I had all the stuff and I had the house and I had my boy, then boyfriend, which then became my husband, and yeah. you know, he had the big job and all that stuff. And I can remember very clearly having a conversation um, in the kitchen and it was this game that couples sometimes play and no one gets to win and it's a game of who is the most tired? And so you're like, I'm really, really tired. Yeah, well, I was out last night, but oh yeah, well, I was out tonight. Like yeah, upping yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. no one wins. And the main loser is obviously the relationship because no one's got any energy to bring yeah. into the relationship and no one gets to win the competition of who's the most tired. And I can, we were thinking about, you know, progressing our lives together and having a family. And I knew that my job at the time was, despite how successful I may have been and how much money I earned and my reputation and the acclaim and all of these. As what? What was the job at the time? Sorry. I was working in property. So it was very high end oh. um, interior. Yeah, of it was beautiful locations. I had an amazing, you know, mm. in theory on paper. I had a great expenses account. I went to five-star hotels all around the world. You know, I, I my on paper, it sounds terrific. The way I still, it's quite funny, the way I still walk around London, the map in my head is still the hotels. So I know how to get from, say, the Dorchester across to... Yeah. The, that's just the map, because that's how I first yeah. left London. So to me, it's still how I see it. But... What I realized was, as much as this fantastic lifestyle seemed really great, I'd actually kind mm. of sold my soul, which sometimes you do because it seems really brilliant to not pay for drinks, but actually, who am I out with? They're not my friends. These are clients. Mm. And when I worked in this industry, the sort of rule of thumb was that you couldn't leave until the client left. You had to entertain them. This is before me too, as well. This is construction. So... You know, I had to be the last person out to make sure that the client was having a lovely evening. And I was expected to do that and then be at the office at 8 a.m. the next day, irrespective of what time I finished, 2, 3 a.m., whatever. So it was relentless. And I remember getting to a very good friend's birthday. It was their 30th birthday at the weekend. And I think I'd had one of these weeks where it was an awards dinner and late nights and it was consistently Mm -hmm. really hard on me. And I remember it was my really, really good friend's birthday and I didn't want to go. I had absolutely nothing in the tank. I just thought, this is the wrong way round. You know, this isn't, this isn't right. I should have all my energy for this and not for that. And so anyway, then I had to, so this was all going on at the same time, like, you know, thinking I wanted a different life in the future with my, my husband-to-be and, you know, to have a different life when, with having children and those sorts of things. Um, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to change it. And I was in this sort of successful trap where I was in such a niche and I felt that I'd worked so hard to get, to you know quite a high level with where I was like I didn't want to lose all of that and start again from zero in a critic critic was really on me and I ended up having a session a visualization session with a really dear friend of mine who still coaches now and uh, she did this wonderful visualization session with me and I remember it to this day and pretty much all of it has come true and that was sort of 12 years ago or so and I was so struck by that the, that's amazing the Gosh. it was incredible things that have come true that couldn't possibly you know it was, it was really amazing and I was so struck by coaching which was different and is different to training and I'd only ever received training in my job before I've never had never had the experience of coaching and it was so different for me and I as a, as a type a which I am I was like I need to know everything about this I need to know everything about this. And then that's where my path, if you like, the first sort of 
step got lit up for me. And that first step was to go to San Francisco, which is the home of sort of all of the coaching schools, especially them, and to really indoctrinate myself and immerse myself in, in this study. And that was how it all started. Amazing. So you moved from, you went from ego feeding stuff to soul feeding stuff, right? Because that's what makes a big difference in, that's so yeah. cool. It was, and it, yeah. was, it was really hard. Like the vulnerability piece was really difficult because of the job. Oh, shit. I, yeah, like because of the job that I was in as well. It was very, it's very male dominated. You know, it's, yeah. it's sort of epitome, especially then, of um, toxic masculinity in, it's not easy for the guys, by the way. I'm not saying it's easy for men to work in that industry. It's really not. It's a very hard industry to be in, but particularly at that time, mm. being young and female, it was very difficult and they didn't have me there for my MBA put it that way or what I could contribute despite the things that they said and I was never really going to progress my career I and mean, when I left one of the board directors said because he when he brought me in it was like we'll promise you this and we'll develop you and we'll do all this stuff and he was like yeah I, I didn't do it no I'm sorry about that oh, we never gave you the opportunities that you should have had so because it benefited them to keep me where I was. But yeah, it was, uh, it took me a really long time because it was so hard to be in that job and be in that industry and, and the hours, the lifestyle, everything. I learned to put armor on to protect my mm. you your know, guard on. Yeah. I'm a Cancerian. I've got a Scorpio, right? You know, I've got lots of water in me. Like it was too much for me. Yeah. I couldn't bear it. So I put armor on and, uh, Honestly, it took me years through the coach training process to even be able to um, talk about how I actually felt. I was so used to flicking things off at, at the surface just mm. to deflect because I was so locked up inside and I had been for so long. It, it took me a long time to get into my feminine, you know, really back into my deep feminine because I had to adopt this masculine act. Like the inner critic had told me not to show emotion. The inner critic had told me I had to be a certain way. The inner critic had told me that I should, should, should. And I'd done all of that for so long. And so the deconditioning process, I just sort of want to speak to that for people that are maybe feeling that and going through it right now. It, it's not as simple as I found my calling. Look at me. <laughs> you know, Here I am sharing and being terrific. It was really hard. It was really hard. It took a long time. And there are still moments that my familiar sort of behaviors creep yeah that's quite a journey you've been on and it's funny because when people have this historic chronic pattern of negative self-talk they literally can't tell the difference between their inner critic and themselves as individuals so how do you actually differentiate between the two and shut your inner critic up if there is such a thing like is that even possible oh no you absolutely can i mean there's a, a workshop that i do actually in a couple of weeks it'll be online that people can download and do where you get to meet your inner critic and you go into conversation Ooh, with it yeah it's intriguing amazing it's amazing i mean the it's mine, but it's amazing. I've done it. Yeah, so it's changed you, didn't it? Yeah. Completely. But I mean, I've, I've sort of harnessed this and created this where from different tools from all of these years of training where you actually meet your inner critic, you go into conversation with it, you find out why it's behaving in the way that it is. Mm. And, un you know, underneath it all, it's trying to keep you safe. The only mm. way it knows how to keep you safe is to keep you in your comfort zone because that's what it knows. Mm. So any change... Any unknown is risky and scary, therefore must keep you safe, must keep you small. So it's actually doing its job really well. You know, that's what it's trying to do for you. But if we go into conversation with it and we find out what it needs from you and what you need from them and how you can partner and it can genuinely go from a critic to cheerleader very quickly. And I have had 
the most wow. informative client sessions I've got goosebumps. I love I love the work that I do there because as to your point, people think, well, how can I ever turn it off? And I describe it as yeah. well, something helpfully if you, if you can't access that work. And I appreciate it as, as a privilege, as a group coaching program that we do a lot of work in this as well that's online. But just I say to people, it's like you're listening to a radio station and you're going along and having a nice day. And before you know it, it's jumped channel and you're listening to radio in a critic and it's just suddenly all this negative self-talk. And it's just really important to understand that that is not true and it's not who you are and then make an inquiry okay this is interesting why has this stepped in now who was i just speaking to who was i with is it because of that what was i what was my chain of thought just before was i thinking about work or relationship, mm. something like that okay you know so just have just be curious and if you the amazing the best cure for an inner critic is if you remain curious your inner critic stays out of it like your curiosity kills the inner critic. You know, you, you, if you're curious, okay, that's yeah. interesting. What, what haven't I done that's good for me today? Or I didn't sleep very well last night. Right, okay, well, today is not the day for me to go through all the failures in my life because, you know, I haven't slept very well and I did lots of work over the last few days and I've traveled. So do you know what? I'm just going to do deep self-care, whatever that looks like for me. And I'll go back to evaluating my work when I know my tank is full because right now, I'm in the depths of inner critic territory. It's a bit like doom scrolling Instagram on a Sunday night when you're tired. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're going to go to work on Monday, maybe a job you don't really like, and then you see like a friend of yours. I mean, and my goodness, right? The shoulds. Oh, you should look like her in a bikini. You should, um, yeah. you should be doing this. You should be on this holiday. You should have this job. You know, you should, like that is just, don't look at it at that point in time. Look at it on a Tuesday morning when you've just done a class that you love with a, drink in your hand that you really enjoy you know coffee or something and a, and a day that you're feeling grateful and you'll look at stuff then and go Pah. Pah. happy with my life so yeah it's a, it's just about checking in making inquiry and be really curious about what may have triggered it and then what is in your armory that you can use so like i say perhaps it's a case of right i'm gonna park this until i've had a good night's sleep and see how i feel tomorrow often that's enough like this is not this is not for now this is happening because i'm gonna have a good night's sleep or okay i keep feeling this after i've had an interaction with this one friend colleague family member person i'm gonna try and redesign seeing them in a group or talking to them in a different way or a different time of day so it's not the end of my day so i feel i take it into my personal life and just how can you be curious and, and sort of recreate and redesign around that Right. That's well, thank you for clarifying that. That's super helpful. And a big one I'm seeing in all of this is turning your judgment into curiosity because that can really calm your mental chatter that why is happening and not going too crazy with those questions either, but just being aware and self-reflective mm -hmm. and then taming it from there. Right. Because then you can't keep on bashing yourself for having these thoughts. Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. We never lose. We either win or we learn. So, OK, if you yeah. feel like it's a loss, like you didn't get a job say or a relationship's broken down or a friend said they don't want to spend time with you or something like that okay so feel what you're feeling don't don't not feel it but also then yeah be curious as to okay if i feel like i didn't win here what is it that i can learn and in high performance yeah. exactly what we do in sports is what we do if something didn't go exactly the way that we'd hoped let's be really curious about you know let's break it down what did what didn't maybe why yeah. not and what can we try authentically 
for next time. Mm. There's really no point. I get a lot of private clients that are um, very senior executives. And sometimes I work for the organizations. I work for big global corporates. I'm one of their approved coaches. And I get sent someone. And, you know, and there's usually, I'm going to be very, very sort of base here. There's generally speaking in leadership, two reasons they would come to a coach. One is that they're technically amazing but people don't like mm-hmm. them and they're not very nice to work with, but they make money. Exactly. Number two is that they're technically really, really amazing and they've come up through the ranks and they should be promoted, but they haven't got the impact. Like they're maybe a bit, um, they say they're not being impactful enough. Like they haven't displayed leadership qualities. So with people, people, right? It's all the people stuff, isn't it? The human really? skills that people really lack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you were not good at your job, mm-hmm. if you didn't make money, you wouldn't be there. So the fact that they, they're willing to invest in you is either you're making money, but mm. you're making it hard for us to keep you because you're so awful, or <laughs> you're making money and you're great, but you're not impactful. You know, in, and that, that, I love that group because they come and they're like, right, well, I've seen so-and-so speaking, the CEO, so I know I need to be more like, I should be more like that, or I should be mm. like Simon Sinek, or I should do this thing. Yeah. And I'm like, right, we're going to stop there. And we're going to look at, no wonder you feel terrible and you're afraid of public speaking and all these things are happening and you don't like talks. Yeah, let's find out what your authentic leadership style is and let's mm. work from there. And actually, conversely, often the difficult people, the ones that no one likes working with because they're, they're awkward. I don't know if I can swear on this. Yeah. They're, they're not nice people to work with. Um, it's usually the same thing that they've actually adopted a character and a behavior, a bit like I said with the armor, where they've probably been sure. rewarded at some point and told that was really good. Oh, well done for, you know, getting that across the line or well done for, you know, pulling an all-nighter and getting a team to stay. Or, you know, they've usually been rewarded. And then the other part is that character that they've adopted, this sort of harder, more difficult person is is keeping their vulnerability locked away because actually they're usually the group that have got probably personal stuff going on and finding it the hardest yeah that that really makes sense i want to dive into a really hot topic which is relevant to most people around the world which is setting boundaries because given our innate wiring of acceptance and belonging we just find it so hard to say no and we Mm -hmm. almost equate it to being rude and not caring which is not true at all and it's funny because there's also this thing known as the obnoxious stage of setting boundaries where when people have a history of people pleasing and not honoring their needs, they'll find any way to actually overcompensate for the unmet needs and being very destructive to others in that process. So what is like a really sane or healthy way to set boundaries without it backfiring on you and where people actually aren't offended, but like they understand you? Because that's a very tricky process again. I think that what most, and yeah, absolutely, I don't want to, um, you know, sort of minimize this. It is a really big thing and it's like a muscle. So if you haven't used it, and a lot of us don't, I mean, I'm a reformed people pleaser and every now and again, again, you know, we slip into into different things. So I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm not at all, but there's there's a really fine balance between just giving yourself grace in this process as well if you've never done it don't expect to feel fine telling your boss you're definitely going home at five o'clock every day if you've always stayed till eight and done whatever they say you're going to find that huge you know so start somewhere small yeah and think about it as building up a muscle the more and more you do it and the more and more you see people just getting used to it and accepting it the more and more you're going to feel confident doing it so if you need to start getting better work-life balance in this example you say that I'm going to be, I need to leave at five o'clock on Tuesday. 
And the thing that you don't do is you don't then follow up with an excuse as to why. And you don't ask permission. This is, this is where it gets a bit, you know, so you say, yeah. I need to leave at five o'clock on Tuesday, just to let you know. And people go, oh, God, oh, 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 but I, I should maybe say I need to take my cat to the vet or I need to take my daughter to the doctor. Or I need to, no, your time is your time and you don't need to offer more information. But we do, because we, again, we don't want to be impolite. I don't want to upset someone as to why I can't see them on Saturday. But I, I always say, listen, no one knows what you're doing. <laughs> no one knows the reason why that you can't do it, but you're just saying you can't. Like you could be, you could be doing all manner of things. And actually the less you say, the more people tend to assume that it's like, oh gosh, I hope they're okay. Oh, absolutely fine. I'm just sitting in and watching Succession, but I'm tired and I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> for sure, by the way. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm just sitting in, and, you know, great for psych- executive coaching psychology. But no, I'm just sitting in and, and watching Succession and just chilling out because I had a big day and I, I but I don't need to, to give extra information is what I'm saying is one. But definitely to remember if you've never done it, if, especially in say like family situations or relationship or a long-term friendship where you need to make some changes. There's a couple of ways to look at it so you feel less impolite, so you feel kinder. And that's always where I try and come from with everything that I do personally. I try and do it through a lens of kindness and mm. a lens rather. So it's, it's every time we step in for this other person, like, oh, I'll do that for you. Oh, let me help you with that. Or, oh, yeah, I'll come. I'll come, as you, I'll come with you. Or, of course, you can come over. Don't worry. It's fine. I wasn't doing anything. Any, you know, all those sorts of things. You know, taking the call at late at night to the friend that's gone through the breakup again or something like that. You know, every time we're doing that, yes, it is nice, but also it can undermine the other person's feelings that they can solve this for themselves. So a way of setting a boundary is to say, hey, I'm really sorry, I actually can't do that today. But listen, I know that you've got this or I know that you'll have a lovely time at the event tonight. Really enjoy it. Let me know how it goes. Or I know that... Um, you know, you've done this hard thing before, remind them of something, champion them. So I know that you'll be able to do this again. I'm sorry I can't be here for this one, but you know, I'm here for you and let me know how you are. So yeah, that's a really beautiful way actually of doing two things, a boundary for yourself and championing and helping the other person to find more autonomy in their own life. Because we do, to your point, we don't people please because it's, it's very rarely Machiavelli. Some people may be <laughs> their own, you know, manipulating for their own gains. But most of the time we're doing it for the physiological and psychological reasons, as you say, for social connection rather than social rejection. And also because we don't want to be unkind. And there's some conditioning in there. Be a good girl, be a good girl, you know, these sorts of things and, and not being impolite and, you know, heaven forbid all of these sorts of things. But equally, I think most of us would, would prefer to to help a friend if we, if we knew that they were unhappy or things were going on. But sometimes we need to honor ourselves first to make sure that we have that accessibility, energy and availability to help others. So please remember if you've never done it, it's gonna feel clunky, it's gonna feel awkward. I remember when I was first at coaching school in San Francisco, this very British girl that never spoke about anything and worked in construction with men. And um, they gave me some homework. Oh, it was <laughs> with a load of Californians. What a transformation has been for you. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine being honoured in a group with Californians? And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. you know? so, so it's been very good for me to show up in that way. But one of the pieces of homework I was given was to say no and not give an excuse. You could say no, thank you but you couldn't say why or offer another date or anything. I mean, but, but I have a question here. So I to interrupt you, but if a friend is asking me to come over to see her because she's been feeling low or whatever, 
and I have my own thing going on. Like I've been exhausted through the week and I maybe have fever. Rather than you say, no, I can't come because that is rude. Like my friends asking me to be there, I bloody well be there unless there's a real problem, which in this case there is. But in this case, I would actually say like, you know what? I feel you, but I really can't be there right now because of so-and-so. So in this case, I would actually explain myself. You know what I mean? This, this was sort of a homework because I'd never done it. So they were kind of giving me some quite... <laughs> Putting in the challenge. Yeah, yeah they, got it. It was like I'm a sort of 30-day boot camp. You yeah. know, this was like a, uh, doing like a, um, a couch to 5K. This was their version of, of throwing yeah. me in at the deep end and kind of, no, I'm with you because that wouldn't be kind <laughs> to so me. Funny. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm not that person. If somebody said I'm really struggling right now, I'd be like, listen, I'm going to try whatever I could do. Or I'd say, look, I've, I've got this thing tonight, but leave me a message. I'll come back to you as soon as I can or I'll call mm. you. And, of course. I yeah. Like, so, yeah. And I, I agree. It's like using the lens of, lens of kindness. But yeah, this was my like boot camp kind of in at the deep end, you know, like this, this was me to build up this muscle that I didn't have. So just to, and it's an extreme example, but there are sort of the, there are actual sort of coaching experts that they specialize in exactly this, where you just have to like the muscle and the power of just no. And it's interesting. So when you use it in some situations, obviously not like that kind where it's a friend that you care about and, and you know that what they're going through is, is something, but someone that maybe you know like I say something in between that usually you would have said yes you're just like oh no thank you like again you know I might I might just say oh you know really hope it goes well but I'm not following up with and here's another day and what can I do to help or I'll send some let me bake some cookies to go along with it you know it's just oh no thank you I really hope it goes well and I mean all of those things and and that's a way of sort of starting a boundary so just remember it can be <gasps> your inner critic will be really loud because you're doing something you've not done before. Yeah. And just to, to know that you're building up a muscle and to start slowly. And with any of these things, the other thing to say is if you're putting in a boundary with someone you've had a long term connection or relationship with, let's say family or romantic relationship or friendship and they're used to you being in a certain role or doing a certain thing like mm. oh, succumbing to your requests all the bloody time that's yeah. where shit gets real right because right. you're like not used to that neither yeah. are they so yeah yeah so just remember that you may need to educate people a couple of times so again you might be building up and like right i'm gonna do my boundary i'm gonna do it today i'm gonna say you know, I don't eat that anymore, mum, you know, or I'm actually doing this now, or this is not, you know, what I'm choosing anymore for myself. Like, just allow that some people are not being difficult or nasty or not respecting you. Some people are just, they just need a little bit longer to kind of continue with the education. So like all good communication strategies, you just stay with your message that this is important to me right now. And I really appreciate your support in helping me and just allow they might they, they might get it wrong a little bit. You know, we're in an education process. So allow for that as well in the boundaries. Yeah, have that difficult conversation, which none of us have ever been trained to do, right? Yeah. Having tough conversations, yeah. a big one. But so the, the takeaway from this little part is that it's very much possible to be assertive while being polite. You don't have to be rude to be assertive, oh. right? Because people often mis like misperceive that completely. Yeah, definitely not. And we have boundaries. We put boundaries into relationships to keep people in our lives like remember that mm -hmm. I love that you say that tell yeah. me more about that because we you know if I didn't like someone at all you know I just wouldn't speak to them again or wouldn't see them again but if you know very good friends of mine like recently I've been working on some of these programs for the website I am a single parent you know my time and energy is finite sometimes mm. and I have to use and I've got much better at where I use it but the thing I've got really good at and I'm still working on the muscle but I'm getting better at it is 
is saying to my friends, listen, I'm sorry, I know I haven't been very available and I'm not going to be very available until blah, 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 you know, because I'm working on this thing and I really love you and I really care about you and I hope you're okay and I'm sorry that I haven't been as available for our relationship at the moment, but got to get this sorted and and all of my friends are like of course darling that's fine how can we help you you know and then when I am available I will be there ready to support them but I've done that because I want them to feel important and be valued and also to sort of understand this isn't forever this is for a period of time and this is why I'm doing it and they've all been like absolutely darling no problem so we put boundaries into relationships I think to educate and inform people as to where we are because they're important people in our lives and we want to be able to keep that relationship. So if something's really upsetting you, you're feeling maybe disrespected or hurt, or please tell that person and just say, look, when you do this, this is how I feel. So what I would like is, da da da, um, because you're really important to me. And I want this to, you know, I want us to be able to stay connected. And I think the other, the other add-on I would give here as well is, don't expect other people to know what good looks like for you. So, for example, I could say a boundary I have got is, you know, oh, I would really, I don't know, if I was dating, you know, I'd, I'd love to, like, communication is really important to me. I'd, I'd love to have a message from you every day. I'd like us to be in touch every day. And that person might go, oh, all right, fine. Yeah, well, I, I, I like to post on Instagram or something. I don't know. I'm giving, a, I'm making up an example. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Right. So, and I could say, well, okay, I, what I actually, what good looks like to me is us directly being in communication every day you know sending a message or a call every now and again and you know going out for dinner or something once a week so don't assume that someone else knows what you mean like I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like oh my partner as soon as he gets in from work he just goes on about it and he won't stop and I've asked him so many times and I've said but he might not think he is have you actually said what good looks and like happens all the time yeah, in relationships right, exactly and like he's in and, he, and to him he's like what are you talking about no I wasn't like I just I'm just sharing like he thinks he's sharing his day with her and including yeah. her she thinks he's not valuing her and is continuing work rather than appreciating her and, and putting the time in there so please don't assume with your boundaries that people know what good looks like for you and so if you're changing something you know, maybe if it's something quite significant as well, and, and perhaps people haven't got experience in this area, like maybe you're trying a new diet or you're, um, something in your lifestyle is changing or a new partnership or something like that. Like people are often quite nervous themselves. They get inner critic about getting it wrong, mm. so the rejection. So help them along with what good looks like in this situation. It is so key that you said that because it's such a real struggle. And that right there, the act of expressing our feelings and asking what we need is like an act of vulnerability, right? Because we're terrified of that. We don't want to go there at all. And to do all these kinds of assumptions and avoidance and escapism, anything but that. So thank you for expressing that so well. They are great reminders. You're welcome. Could you please clarify the difference for me between fawning and people-pleasing? Because for me, it's the same thing, but apparently not. So... Fawning is a trauma response. So oh. fawning, so there's fight, flight, and freeze, which most people are familiar with. Mm. And then there's flop, mm. which is pass out on the spot. And fawn. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you think about um, 
you know, you sometimes see those videos of like a, a groom at the altar that he passes out, you know, like it's so it's, uh, or, or, you're it's just, yeah, or you're just so terrified. Flop is a trauma response. You, you just pass out cold on the spot. It's common in animals, yeah. actually. If you look at um, wildlife. Yeah, yeah. Pass out. There's like some little deers that they go to one side straight away. So that's, that's flop. Fawn is the fifth trauma response. And fawn is one that is, I think, the least understood, but probably because of that has the most shame for people in the collective. Now, we mm -hmm. fawn in all manner of different circumstances. So we fawn with our family. So I grew up in a household with violence, but I couldn't leave. I didn't have other options. You know, I had, had to have my basic needs met. They were my caregivers, but there was violence towards me. So despite this persecutor and perpetrator of violence towards me which inherently I knew to be wrong I still had to fawn for this person's love and affection because that would keep me safe and fawning is what exactly people pleasing I think where it, yeah, it? it's it, they're bedfellows I mean day to day it would look like people pleasing day to day it would look like obviously not want so people pleasing i would say sort of sits more alongside the social rejection perhaps and being sure um being sort of so the not rejection element the fawning comes more for it's genuine safety it's a fear about safety so domestic abuse wow. it's more you know that despite this person perhaps being very violent towards you to keep you and maybe your children safe you're going to fawn and placate and try and um win over this person so it's a bit different than just I've made you a nice ah. dinner is this is I am at risk I mean you're and again the thing I really want to make clear about this I don't think people are sort of talking about as much and I hope it gets some more time in the spotlight it is involuntary that's maybe the difference fawning is involuntary it's a trauma response people pleasing I know sometimes we don't feel it's conscious but we're probably thinking it through oh I want to I don't want to say no to this event I don't want them to be upset with me fawning is decided before you have a conscious thought any trauma response, corn being one of them, is generated from your amygdala, your limbic system, which is your animal mm. part of the brain. Your prefrontal cortex and your broker's area where language is, is offline because you're under threat. So all of the blood has been rerouted to this element of your brain, the amygdala and the, the limbic system to keep you safe. So what it's done is it's gone in and it's activated one of the trauma responses. And one of those is fawn. So you have not selected to do this and this is where the shame comes in so yeah i could look back i get it now yeah why was i so why was i constantly trying to win my father's approval when he was so violent and so unkind well because i was desperately in fear of my life a few times and i was young and i had no choice i didn't understand victims of sexual assault i have a lot of victim, victims of sexual assault in for emdr for trauma work for those moments and I don't think I've ever met anyone that's been sexually assaulted that didn't have an element of shame that in some way, shape or form, they encouraged it or were responsible. And it's it's not the case, but the fawn response has kicked in at the first sign of danger. And so one of the things you may do is pretend that you're maybe going along with this. It's not, you didn't select it. You didn't start acting that mm. role. You didn't think, oh, this is a great idea. It's a trauma response. It is no different to fight flight or freeze or flop 
It's just this is what your system has selected to keep you alive and keep you safe. So the difference between fawning and people pleasing is, is unconscious and it's truly... No, I know. It explains why so many people stay stuck with abusive partners because they just have no way out and they think this is their destiny for some reason. And then you have this shame feeling that in some way you have placated, encouraged, um, perpetrated this behavior. And so I am bad. Shame. I am bad. I did this. I encouraged it. I am to blame. And so then if you've got shame, to your point, you're much less likely to speak out or um, try and get some help or something else, because in some way, shape or form, you feel like you've been responsible in a way for this. So I really hope that people do hear this and listen to this and under- bosses, narcissistic bosses, fawning, <laughs> got to pay my mortgage. I know this person is wrong. I know what they're saying is wrong. I know that I shouldn't be working these hours, receiving these emails. I just watched um, She Said on the, I was in LA last week and I flew home. It's the film about the Harvey Weinstein case and it's terrific. It's a brilliant film. Kerry Mulligan's in it. And oh my goodness, the fawning in that because you've got these women that are in unsafe situations in a hotel room with a man who has got them up there under false pretenses for a meeting which is fairly normal in hollywood and you can hear these right you can hear these recordings of these these women and you can hear the the sort of the the panic and the, the fawning and trying to you know that none of them sort of screamed and ran and banged the door down because they were and they it's because they were terrified they didn't because people could say well if you were scared you would have done that and i'm saying no 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 they were so scared they did this so you can hear them saying, oh, please, um, I just want to, I, I don't feel comfortable. Um, I wouldn't like that. I'd like to leave. And then he's threatening their career and he's threatening all these things. And then people will think badly of them. And so they're so deeply in this trauma response of fawn and you can hear it. So I think it's such an important conversation for us to start having because it's in so many relationship systems, families, um, you know, if I if I don't do these things for my brother, he'll be angry again. You know, or if I don't do, you know, my my in my yeah. own family system, romantic relationship, domestic abuse, sexual assault, um, yeah, bosses, work. You know, how many times have people listening done something that they feel ashamed about, but you did it because you were fawning, you were scared. I've had people in here that say that they you know had done something they didn't want to and we've gone through the event and it's like this was a premeditated attack and but they came in thinking it was their fault and there was something wrong with them so i guess it relates to not to make assumptions or judgments here but it seems like it relates to having a low sense of self like low self-worth would that be correct I don't, oh, it's more trickier than that. I think it's trickier than that. I think it's, I mean, like I say, it's not, it's not conscious, you know, so potentially your subconscious maybe, I think it's more about predators. Like, could I fight off a great big man? No. What are my options? So you see, all of us are vulnerable and prone to fawning, every one of us? Yes, I do. Yeah. Wow. And, and it's because... You know, in in it's different not, degrees, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, there'd be a situation where, you know, if a great big tiger jumped in the room, one of the trauma responses might be to try and tame it or give it a biscuit and hopefully it'll lie down. <laughs> we could pat it on the head and say, here, kitty, kitty. You know, so I, I do think know. everybody is going to... And again, I just really want to make this point for people listening who feel ashamed. You do not choose it. So I'm not thinking I've got low... I've, my self-esteem is lower. I'm selecting to do this. Right. You might inherently just know that I couldn't fight off this person. I can't, you know, my system's done the maths in like gazillions. I see what you mean. I can't fight this person off. 
I can't outrun them. The door, I, I, if I freeze, I'm in more trouble. If I pass out, mm. awful could happen to me. What are the options I've got left? Fawn. So, and actually, mm. like I say, you know, or say domestic uh, violence with a family system, you know, maybe it's better for me to get beaten up today because I don't want them turning on the kids. So, you know, or try and lure it into a different situation or um, to, so it doesn't happen. So I think that everybody is potentially vulnerable to it, yes, because it's your, like I say, your system has fired so quickly to select the response. You're, you're not conscious. This is where the, the trauma then comes, comes back at different points as flashbacks, because this whole prefrontal cortex is offline in that moment, but it tags mm. things to be helpful for later that you might need later, because in this moment, we just need to stay alive. That is my, my system, sure. is just, all we need to do is stay alive. So it's pre-selected fawn in this instance to keep me alive. Now, later on, when I'm safe again, and this is where it can be a couple of years later, we start getting a flashback or I've gone into a shop and I smell some, let's just say like a sexual assault or something. You know, I'm smelling an aftershave or uh, there was a flash of red and someone had a red jumper on mm -hmm. and it sent me into an anxiety, a panic attack, something like that. So then you think again, there's something wrong with you. Because you're like, well, I'm not in that situation. So how can that be happening now? I'm in a shop. I'm safe. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And then that's where trauma makes us feel even more isolated and even more alone. So, mm -hmm. and, but, but what I would say is that people pleasing, I think, can stem from a time when you may have had to form because obviously you don't want to find yourself in a situation like that again. You know, I had a violent father. Mm -hmm. I was very scared of um, conflict, particularly with men. So that sure. would be something that obviously I would people please maybe more. I wouldn't be outspoken, not like I am now. Now I, I understand and appreciate I am safe and I can say what yeah. I want, you know. So um, I definitely did not choose relationships, jobs, things like that. I chose them from the lens of someone that had had to fawn and been very afraid. And, you know, then I probably people please to, to, to continue to try and again, to try not to find myself in that situation. Wow, this looks like a very complex process to actually navigate out of fawning because navigating through shame isn't easy at all. And you you help people with this whole process, yeah. right, of overcoming fawning and overcoming your people-pleasing tendencies. Just That's really, amazing. Yeah, just really to understand, to reprogram and reprocess the shame. Shame is a language. It's an I am. So shame is like yeah. felt. I am bad, I am this, I am that, yeah. And it's felt. Internalizing everything. If you say, yeah. like, if I say I am a bad mother, I feel physically sick. I feel sick now. Like, it is, wow. you know, it's very different to me saying, oh, babe, listen, this morning, had a bit of a ding-dong about what she was going to, what outfit she was going to wear, and, you know, I didn't do great today. I feel a bit guilty. That's one thing. Me saying I am 100%. a bad mother, oh, my God, stabbed me through the heart. Like, it's just, it's horrible. I feel sick in my stomach saying it. So if you imagine that someone that has formed maybe in different circumstances or in certain circumstances, they have that shame language that lives within them. That's the work that I do is we reprogram the underlying limiting belief. We reprocess it out with EMDR and we replace it with mm. an I am. You'd rather believe about yourself instead. So I am worthy. I am loved. I am brave. I am strong. I am whole. I am capable I'm enough. Mm. You know, whatever your I am might be, we put that back yeah. in and we remove the underlying limiting belief. And then, of course, honoring your needs and expressing your needs in a way that's healthy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And again, like the boundaries, we build up to that. 
Because if you've spent years listening to shame language, people pleasing on top of that, the inner critic again doing its job, maybe doing its job over time so we don't find ourselves in similar situations. And then, you know, it takes us a while to unwind that and that's okay. Like, and everyone's path is going to be different and that's okay. And sometimes that's why we need boundaries and that's really okay. Mm, that's powerful stuff. What would you say to young adults who are listening right now and may need this one piece of advice from Annalie Howling on how to live a fulfilling life with a healthy self-esteem where they aren't fitting in or falling in people-pleasing patterns and com the comparison trap that is so dominant in today's world? I think it's really hard. I'm not going to give some flippant advice like, oh, just ignore it, you know, because I think it's, I think you can't. And I think especially when you're younger and your entire identity is dependent on your peer group, like school friends and stuff like that. I think yeah. it's very difficult. I think whatever is in your heart, like your call, the things that you want to be, keep a focus on that. It's like keeping your eye on the horizon. Know that whatever's happening now you know, wherever you may not be connected to all these people in the future, and that's okay, and to keep your sort of eye on your own horizon. And then within that, just always make, make sure that you can find yourself. And what I mean by that is mm -hmm. like, be your own anchor in the harbour, you know, so just always, mm -hmm. even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes a day, just find your way back to yourself. Because if you lose it, like I did for years, it's really hard to regain it. And just know that you can have that access to your true self, you know, however you may do that meditation, just sitting, just being with yourself, journaling, whatever it is to you. And just make sure you can always access that. Because as long as you can always open that door to your true self and you can still hear what they have to say, I think you'll be fine. Don't allow it to, to close or drift too far from your own shore. Always be the anchor in your own harbour. Gosh, wiser words have never been said out loud. Thank you for reinforcing that very profound message. And finally, a ritual from my side, which is a part of the episode and the podcast. What, in your view, is an epic being? Ooh, an epic being is someone that is uh, energetic, kind, and true. I love that. Thank you for that. And where can people find you, Annalie? I know your Instagram, which I'll share the details Thank on the you. show notes, but like where else can people find you? Yeah, Instagram is probably the most accessible place. It's at Annalie Howling. I've got TikTok. So um, there's quite a lot more on like narcissism and things like that on TikTok. Yeah, it's wow. at Annalie Howling. And then my website actually is also AnnalieHowling.com. Um, there's a few videos on that where I talk more about different responses. As I say, the, the mm -hmm. Inner Critic Masterclass will go on there in a couple of weeks. There's a group coaching program. Mm -hmm. There's some, if you want to have a Zoom call with me and we book in on there, I'm going to put some more dates in the calendar and people we can do that as a one-to-one, -one, the Inner Critic Masterclass. So yeah, please just, just and there's often podcasts I'm doing like this one that will get linked in as well. So please just... Um, and also just ask me a question. I answer every single question that I get. So if somebody listens to this, and particularly if they are in a difficult situation, I want to flag that. I'm sure you'd offer the same. If someone's heard something in this episode and they feel a bit vulnerable and they want some help or they want to be directed somewhere, please ask. I will answer it. That's, that's really kind of you. Well, thank you for being here, Annalie. It's been an absolute pleasure and really enjoyed hearing our insights on such a relevant subject. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's the wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this conversation resonated, help spread the value by sharing with a friend and feel free to share your thoughts and comments on Instagram at epic.beings. 
Also, to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you may want to hit subscribe. Until next time, stay epic.